Bonjour tout le monde. This is John from the Operations Family. Thanks a lot for watching this video. If you'd like to join our community, feel free to visit our website operations.family and apply. We'd love to have you on board. The interview was organized by Palette, a new sales platform that simplifies and automates sales commissions. If calculating sales commissions is taking too much of your time, or if you'd like to better explain to the sales team how commissions are calculated with real-time dashboards, Palette is directly synchronized with your CRM and other data sources to crunch the numbers and calculate commission payouts. Visit palettehq.com for more information. And now, without further ado, let's hear Marcel Gordon, Vice President of Product at Shape Technology, explain to us how to make product managers and sales teams work effectively together. And this meeting is being recorded. Hello, Marcel. Hi. Hello, Jean. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining me. Super interesting topic. Um, um, how to make sales and product management teams uh, work eff effectively together. Um, and today we have a, a superstar uh, guest. Uh, so Marcel, you studied, you have a super interesting background. You studied computer science and law. You could have been a, a lawyer in Sydney, Australia, but you decided that Switzerland was a better land to, um, a better country to work in. Uh, so you joined Google in Switzerland then landed in France, worked 10 years uh, at Google. Uh, you climbed your way up from associate to senior manager um, and then decided to join uh, Shift Technology as a VP product. For those who do not know, uh, don't know Shift Technology, they've been all around the news recently. They raised $200 million uh, in Series D back in May. And all in all, they raised about 300 million something Uh, from really like top investors, Axel, uh, Bessemer Venture Partners, uh, and Advent International. Thanks so much, Marcel. My pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a really interesting journey for me. I um, I've been lucky enough to to come and work in Europe for most of my career, um, and product management turned out to be a a great career for me. Um, I don't think it's the subject today, but um, something I love talking about is the fact that product management brings in people from a lot of different backgrounds. That's something I really cherish about the about the uh, profession. Yeah, that's so, very yeah. true. And you you wrote, I'll, I'll put a, a really uh, good article that you wrote recently about product man, product management. Um, but I, I liked already your first comment about like different backgrounds because I worked four years uh, for Algolia, another scale-up in, uh, in the US and France. And uh, the product manage management uh, team had people from very, very different backgrounds. So we'll have a, a chance to talk about it later. Um, but first, your experience at, at Shift, like, or can you explain what uh, Shift technology is first? Sure, yeah, that's a good place <laughs> to start. Um, so Shift, uh, what we do is we, we build solutions for insurance companies. Um, we only work in insurance. We're really focused on insurance as a vertical. Um, and we're helping insurers to transform. Um, I think a lot of industries, uh, people tend to focus on the companies that are trying to disrupt. Um, we're trying to transform insurance from the inside by partnering with insurers. They have tremendous assets, people, uh, financial assets, brands, uh, expertise. Um, and what we're trying to bring is the technology that's going to get them um, into the next phase of insurance, which obviously for us is very much about digitization and AI. Um, and the progressive insurers are really starting to see that. And we're finding great partners to help to transform insurance. Okay. What do you want to transform insurance into? <laughs> um, I think uh, all of us, I mean, one, one of the interesting things about insurance is that um, 
pretty much every adult in a in a developed economy is a customer in some way. Um, so we so it's very very widespread. It's it's somewhere between five and ten percent of the economy, depending on exactly how you cut it. Um, and so we all have some experience with insurance. Um, sometimes it's it's a difficult experience. Um, often it's linked to something that's gone wrong in your life. Um, you've had a car accident, or there's a water leak in your house, or you, you've had to go and see the doctor. Um, and then there's this kind of feeling of like administrative phobia, right? You know, you're going to have to fill out forms, you know, you're going to have to deal with processes. Um, but ultimately, the insurers are trying to help you, right? Their job is to help you in these moments of difficulty. And so we're really trying to reconcile those, that kind of tension. Um, how do we help the insurers to help you um, while making it as, 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 as smooth and, and simpler process um, as we can? So uh, for us, transforming insurance is about making it fast and, and simple and, and ultimately fair, right? It has to be fair for everybody. Yeah. And, and what led you to, uh, to leave Google uh, for, for Shift then? Yeah, that's a, that's a complicated question. And it's one I get a lot. I, I think the process of leaving Google is a long one. If you talk to anybody who's worked there, it's a, it's a great company, a great environment. Um, it's, it was a real privilege to, to spend 10 years there. Um, but eventually, for everybody, they start to ask, what else is out there in the world? Um, and mm -hmm. for me, I, I, I was really keen to stay in Paris um, and look for opportunities in Paris. And, and I couldn't find the next opportunity within Google, so I looked outside. And I was lucky enough to meet um, the founders at Shift mm -hmm. just at the time that they were looking to build a, a product function at Shift. Um, and that was just a, a perfect opportunity for me to see if what I thought I'd learned actually applied in the real world okay so that's interesting so when you when you met the founders of Sish, they were about to 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 build out the the product function how was the company uh, at this moment uh, how big was it like what were the challenges and and because i remember at algolia uh, the company so I, I was very lucky to be an early employee at algolia uh, i joined the company when we were like 20 people um, and we didn't hire a product manager until the company was something like 50 or 60 employees and well over $5 million uh, of ARR. Um, and there are so many reasons for that. It's not the topic of today, but I'd love to better understand how a shift when you join. Sure. Joe, sure. I, I think if I recall correctly, there's a fantastic article. Is it Lucas that, that wrote Lucas it? Lucas Erdogan, yeah. Yeah, yeah about uh, being the first product manager at Algolia and how he managed to sneak in. Um, I think it's 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 a, it's a great read um, for folks who have some time. Um, so Shift, yeah, Shift was um, about 100 people had done a Series B. So I think probably fundraising at that point was about 40 million, 50 million dollars, mm -hmm. um, and was looking to to grow to the next stage. And and already, I think one of the characteristics of Shift is that it's very, as a company, we're very precocious. We we do things earlier than than maybe the textbook would recommend, and so. Um, we were already starting to build uh, a second product, even though the first one still had tons of runway and st still does, to be honest. Um, and so um, it was starting to get to this complexity of how do we decide where to invest? How do we manage all the demands from these different customers now across multiple products? Um, and this problem um, was becoming too hard for the founders to manage directly. Um, and uh, there was a feeling that there was probably some expertise and best practice out there that could help. And so they had, you know, I think what happens often at startups is there's a conversation with the board. How do we solve this problem? Somebody says, well, this is a known problem. This is called product management. Um, and so my first meeting with Jeremy, who's the CEO there, was actually just to talk about product management, right? Why would we do that? Why would we hire a, a, somebody to build product management? 
which became a conversation about joining um, and, uh, and a great opportunity. Be the first PM when you when you when you join like first PM and NVP. Yeah, so well, there were a couple of people who had taken a, a product like role. I think this often happens at startups. I, I guess this often happens at startups. Mm -hmm. um, so they're you know a, a project manager who, because he had deep experience in insurance, was helping the the team to make good decisions about about um, how certain features should work. Um, somebody from the data science team who was trying to kind of heard the heard the cats um, in terms of what we do on the back end, um, but they didn't really have any product background. Um, so yeah, I was the first kind of product person, if you like, um, yeah. with with the experience to try and build that. So yeah, that was that's a, that was an interesting part of the challenge, being both the first one and the and the VP. Um, you, it's a little bit schizophrenic, um, but it was very interesting. Okay, what were your 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 main objectives like when you joined Wendy? When was the the one or two jobs that they hired you for? I like to think that when we hire people, we usually have one or two or three jobs max uh, that we ask. Like for example, if you are a VP sales. The one number one job might be well bring us from 20 to 40 million ARR or from 20 million, and then you have of course uh, uh, cascading tasks. But the main one job is bring us to the next level. And what about you? Like, can you you think you can define your mission is uh, that way when you first join? Um, yes, I, I well, I guess there's two different ways to look at it. Um, I think the top level is at a startup. Um, everybody's mission is to get from 20 to 40 million or whatever the, the figures are, right? So so my mission when I joined was exactly the same as the rest of the executive committee, which is how do we hit the next target? Um, and and what I was bringing to that is is a, is a product point of view, right? That we, we're not going to be able to, maybe we can hit the next target by just doing what we've been doing. Um, but the target after that requires a different approach to scaling, which should be around products. Um, product management ultimately is a way to scale a company. It's, um, it's the idea that if we all work on uh, you know, a small set of well-defined things, um, that we're going to go a lot further than if we kind of fragment our efforts and, and build custom solutions for each customer. So, so there was really, I, I think, you know, if I look at the, the two big product, you know, product uh, challenges, um, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the, um, the quotes for the air quotes because um, I think these are company challenges, but they, they tend They tend to speak very much to product managers. One was how do we avoid ending up with every customer having a different uh, solution, right? Which tends to happen as you grow because you you find it hard to say no. It, you know, it, we're we're very enterprise. You have very big um, customers. Every insurer is the most important customer in the world, um, and uh, and so it's very hard to to negotiate um, when you when you're a young company. It's very hard to negotiate around what you are and aren't going to do for them. So you end up with a long list of things to do. Um, and that's just not a problem. That's not just a problem in terms of resources. It's also a problem in terms of ultimate strategy because you can end up with very divergent uh, implementations for different customers. And so what, one big challenge was how do you regroup that into a, into a coherent product strategy and, and be able to have the dialogue with your customers about where we're going and what we are going to do and what we're not going to do. And the second one, which I think you know wasn't very explicit at the time, but I think we understand it much better now is this transition from being a single product company to a multi-product company. Um, if you look at enterprise SaaS, that's an incredibly important moment. Um, and Shift had, as I said, taken it on very early. Um, and uh, because, the reason it's such an important moment is because a one product company has a pretty obvious ceiling, 
right? It's the, it's the total addressable market of your current product. Yeah. Um, but if you can build two products, then you can probably build three or four or 10 or 20 products. And there's no necessary limit, right? It's the total addressable market of your vertical at that point. Mm. And so, you, you, you know, if you can solve this problem at the company, it can have a, an, a one or two order of magnitude impact on the, on the potential of the company. Yeah. So this this was a a big moment and a big challenge and one that it's taken us a while to understand, but which is really critical to what we focus on now. Yeah, I think uh, Atlassian might be a, a great example of that of how they've been how they've been able to bring in a lot of different products, um, less enterprise. Uh, they were um, they had a, a different go to market strategy, mm-hmm. but uh, the same. And it's not not every company actually uh, that uh, manages to to have absolutely. Um, different uh, different products it's actually one of the most important challenges and a lot of companies i'm thinking maybe of um the one i'm thinking now is Elasticsearch, uh but others and, and even google as well uh, yeah uh, actually they do that with uh, with m a and merger, uh, mergers and acquisitions and uh, acquiring yeah. companies and and they're because yeah it's hard enough to find one good product as a founder so coming up with two brilliant ideas that will change your world is uh yeah. Is, uh, is something else. Yeah, and this, the second one is just a completely different game because the first one, you're only here to talk about the first one because the first one worked. It, it, you know, if, if the first one hadn't, hadn't worked, you wouldn't be having this conversation, right? You'd be just a, another on the long list of failed startups. So the first one worked, but you don't exactly know why it worked, right? You, you did something and it turned out that was the right thing. Um, and you probably have some reflections on that, but you have no way to validate if they're correct. And so the second one, you now have... Uh, you want to try and do something methodical because you have something to lose, right? You're no longer uh, uh, just three guys in the garage. And so you're trying to you're trying to figure out how do I turn creating new products into a process? Um, and that's that's not obvious, right? That's that's a really hard problem that involves all the functions in the company. Um, and uh, it's very hard to teach to teach yourself, especially in a context where you're dealing with rapid growth on your existing product, right? So yeah. it's um it's really, you know, this is going from one product to many products is really crossing a chasm. And, um, and it's a very, very difficult uh, exercise. Can you remind me what led the, the company to, to create a second product? Was it sales driven uh, to, to reach the target or to reach next level or no? Okay. No, no, it's, it's really the ambition of the founders. Jeremy, Eric and David um, always had an ambition to be a, a global company and to, to play a, an important role in transforming insurance. And if we had simply said, we're gonna be a fraud detection company, um, it would be nice. I think it could be a very successful company, but um, would not enable us to take that, that global role and, and be a major actor. And so, you know, when you have founders who have that level of ambition, there's only one path, right? It, you, we, we, they lead, we follow. Okay, interesting. So it was the... The product strategy actually uh, drove the, the sales tra- strategy and, uh, and not the other way around. Um, that's actually a... Uh, no. Yeah, I, 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 well, I don't know. I think that's probably one of the things we're going to talk about, but I, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure I see them as two different strategies um, or ideally they're not two different strategies, right? Um, I think now our sales strategy depends very explicitly on, on having many products. Um, and our product strategy is, is, is trying to make sure that they have more and more things to sell. So... These two things are, are very tightly coupled.
Okay, so that's um, can can you tell us uh, how is the company right now? And since the topic is about sales and and and, and product, how are the two teams like? How many people? How are they structured? Um, yeah, so the sales team. Uh, so Shift as a company now is about three hundred people. Um, I don't know the exact figure. I'd say in sales we probably have fifty people, um, something like that. Um, it's a it's a function that's growing quickly as you know as we as we grow in terms of um, revenue, but also in terms of geography. Uh, the product team is now uh, seven people. Uh, we have a couple of open roles, so if, if there's anybody from the product side listening, we, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and uh, we're we're largely organised on the product side around um, around two verticals. So we you know insurance. Um, insurance is a, is a big industry. We have uh, PNC insurance, which is the kind of insurance that you or I would buy, home insurance, car insurance. Um, and then we have health and life insurance. So health insurance in general, in a lot of countries, you have it through your employer. Um, you don't necessarily buy it directly. Um, and life insurance, depending on exactly what kind of life insurance, could either be um, indirect or direct. Uh, but we split the world into those two parts because in a lot of countries, in most countries, um, they're complete two completely separate markets. Okay, and so each team inside the product team is responsible for um, for one part. Yeah, so we split the the product team um, to follow that, and then within each uh, vertical, we have a, a set of products, each one having a, a product manager. Okay, um, and and yeah, so the topic today was like making product management and sales work effectively together. Um, and the first part, I think, of working effectively as a group is understand what's the mission, what's the job of the other part. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I could go with the, with the sales one, but I would love to, to listen your take on what's product management and what's a product manager and how should sales understand uh, product management. Yeah. Um, so... I think what we've talked about already is, is, is important. The way I try and summarize this is that the product manager's job is to build and spread the idea of a product. Um, and, and the reason there's, well, there's two parts to that first, there's the build and the spread, um, but it's really the core is focusing on an idea. At the end of the day, a product, especially a software product um, is just an idea. S somebody, uh, some group of people has a shared idea about what they're doing together. Um, and it's that shared idea and, and the consistency and the power of it that enable them to, to, to be successful. And so the product manager's primary job is to make sure that that idea, it's there, it's well-defined, everybody understands it. They need to evangelize it. They need to, they need to construct it first, but then they need to evangelize it so that everybody at the company can understand what is it that we're selling? What is it that we're supporting? What is it that... Um, that, it, that it is now and what is it that it's going to become. Um, and so they have this, this, this fundamental responsibility, which is to, to kind of um, nurture that idea, right? to be the, the champion of it within the company. Um, and the, the reason that that works is because um, once you have this definition of a product, the organization knows what to do around it. Salespeople know how to sell. Marketing people know how to market. Um, support people know how to support engineers know how to, to, to build software. And so it's really the, the key thing that's missing is what is this thing that we, that we're trying to build together? 
And it's the product manager's job to get everybody together around that and then drive, drive the execution and the success uh, of the product. I found this interesting quote from Michael Wolf uh, as a co-founder at um, Gladly. And so he says, strategy is not grow AOR, build great products, or the CEO's, the CEO's latest feature idea. You have a strategy if your team knows when to say yes and no. It should be focused and sometimes pain, uh, painful. And it reminds me of what you just said, like once everyone has the idea, once you build the idea, and once you, you spread the idea to everyone, uh, it becomes uh, much simpler to know when to say yes and no, what belongs to the idea and what doesn't. Um, and I think it can create, um, it, it can have a very positive impact because I've been a sales myself, I've been an account executive. And I think that's part of this um, frustration that comes when you are naive, not knowing what the direction is, where we are go going as a company, where is the product going, um, and what is the idea that we are building upon. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the single biggest source of tension, right? The salespeople, uh, the, 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 when the salespeople are not sure what they can and can't sell, um, mm. or when product gets frustrated because sales sell things that ultimately product didn't want them to sell. Um, The, the lack of clarity um, or the lack of power in the idea, right? If it turns out that the product idea just doesn't speak to the market, it's just not a good idea um, or it's not a good enough idea yet, um, that this is, this is where you really have a problem. And so, and I think what's really important for product managers is to, is to own that problem, right? Is to, is to say, if it's not selling, I've got to fix that. I, I think there's one kind of uh, failure mode in, in B2B, product management, which is to say, my job is to build a great product and sales job is to sell it. Right? Um, as though you can decouple the success of the product in the market from the, the quality of the product. Right? The quality of the product is the success of the product in the market. And so you have to think not just about like, is it well built or is the UX good or you know, is it other metrics improving, but are people buying it? Because if they're not buying it, the rest of it just doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think there, there are some companies actually where their product managers own Uh, the, the metrics revenue mm -hmm. um, together with the, the sales team. Is that the case uh, at, at Shift? It's not, it's not formally the case. Like I guess it depends what you mean by own. Um, I definitely uh, look at the success of the products and the product managers who, who are responsible for them in terms of business growth. Um, it's, not, um, it's not kind of hard-coded into our performance management system or anything like that. Uh, at this point, maybe that's something for the future. Um, but the whole company, just you know, just like what we talked about with myself joining the executive committee and and my target really being how do we hit the next uh, revenue milestone, the whole company, our company um, incentive plan is based around uh, business outcomes, right? How, how much do we sell, um, and how well do we do we do we deliver against it? So um, so yeah, in some sense, everybody is on the hook, not just product management, but everybody in the company is on the hook for those for those numbers. A good friend of mine, I cannot name the company, obviously, but a good friend of mine was a <clears throat> uh, joined a, uh, a big scale-up in the US as a PM. And uh, his mission was actually to build a product that would generate $3 million in AOR within five months. And that was his mission letter. Um, and I think it's like, crystal clear example of a, a company where 
you you, you really own the, the revenue like if you if you don't deliver uh chances are that you 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 won't stay in the company for for long yeah um yeah the, the i mean the, the the flip side of that the tension i mean that's a phenomenal challenge and and i hope you succeeded it's um it'll be very impressive the flip side of that is that um product management as a function is not in charge like we we operate through influence in a kind of non-hierarchical way and if you want to give somebody a target like that they they almost sound like the head of a business unit and so if they're the head of a business unit but they can't hire and fire and they can't set specific objectives for specific, for specific people it's very very difficult so that you know that's where when we talk about what does it mean to own a, a revenue number that's where it gets a little bit complicated um, but I think, yeah, that's super interesting as an extreme example. Well, to be honest, I think it's uh, one thing in common that we have between product managers and sales, because when you are uh, an account executive, you are owning uh, revenue because you have a, a, a target that is very specific. You, I don't know, need to close $250,000 in ARR by the end of the quarter, and yet you're not in charge. Uh, and actually, there's a book, I think is um, How to Manage When You're Not in Charge, uh, because when you're an AE, um, you're not the manager of anyone. You work with solutions engineers, you work with legal, you work with marketing, you work with SDRs, BDRs, but you're not the boss of anyone. You cannot hire, you cannot fire, and you need somehow to make everyone work together as a group uh, to make um, the project a success and ultimately um, uh, get the trust of the customer and, um, yeah. and, uh, and make the contract uh, work. Um, so somewhere yeah. you, you, you can say that you can be responsible without being in charge. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I mean, this is the, all, all companies have this kind of interdependence, mm. right? There, you know, we have functions that have a certain responsibility, but we ultimately we all depend on each other. I think what's interesting for sales is the way I look at it. Ideally, sales have such confidence in every, every other function around them and every other aspect of the way that, um, the revenue pipeline is being driven that they feel confident to hit their target, right? It, 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 if things in a perfect world, they don't feel those dependencies on other teams because there's BDRs feeding them leads and there's marketing feeding them leads and the product is sells itself and there's no question about delivery. And, and so they, you know, a happy salesperson is somebody who really does feel like hitting that number just depends on how many customers I engage with and how good my pitch is. Um, and it's, rarely the case right it's all, <laughs> yeah. especially in theory <laughs> yeah that's in theory right and it's probably more true in small b2b and much less true in enterprise b2b where the deals are more complicated and there's much more involvement from other functions um and that's what makes that's one of the things that makes sales hard um especially as you get up to that enterprise end of things yeah yeah definitely um Sometimes we, one can hear that there are frustrations and tensions between PMs and, um, and, and sales. And well, as a sales, I can, I can uh, somehow, uh, how do you say, um, I can understand that because, you know, sales, they always complain <laughs> um, and they all, oh, the product is not good enough. We're missing this feature. If I had that, I could have closed. Um, and, I, and I've been the one complaining, so I can tell that. <laughs> um, but on the other side, like, where do you think the tensions and frustrations can come from? From the do, from, do you, from the product side, or yeah, from from the product side. Um, from the product side, so great salespeople, 
the next deal is literally the most important thing in the world. Um, it's exactly how they should be, right? It, closing this next deal is the most important thing in the world. And, and where there can be a disconnect with product is that product has to care about every customer, right? And so when you're talking to any given salesperson, the deal that they're talking about is probably not the most important thing in the world because there's 100 salespeople and they've all got their one deal that's the most important thing in the world. And so you're naturally in a situation where you're going to disappoint most people um, who, are, who are hoping for a certain, a certain answer. Um, it's also, you know, as the company gets bigger, sales is a bad point in time to ask for things, right? Like essentially, if you're a small company and there's a sales guy who comes in and says, look, if you build this feature, we'll get this customer. Um, you probably don't have a lot of other commitments because you're small, um, you're very agile. And so you say yes and you build it and you get the customer and everybody's happy. And the company grows a bit and the sales guy comes in and says, hey, uh, can we build this feature? We'll get this customer. And the product manager says, well, you know, I really don't know. And, you know, we don't know. We're not, we're not very good at predicting these things right now. And we have a lot on our plate. And, and it kind of becomes an awkward conversation. And the CEO jumps in and says, look, we need more customers. You guys are going to do it. Um, and so everybody signs up for it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, and the company keeps growing, but you start to get these, these kind of tensions about, you know, we're not delivering everything we said. And, and that's frustrating sales. It's frustrating customers. Um, and then once the company gets big, all this has been turned into a process. And if a sales deal depends on somebody signing up for a new feature, it's almost certainly not possible, right? Unless it's the biggest customer in the world, like literally the biggest customer in the world. And so if you want something, you need to have asked for it six months ago. Right? But at least in that environment, everybody understands that. Sales know that if it's not already on the roadmap, it's not going to get done in the next six months um, because the process is there and everybody is, everybody is adapted to it. And so it's really that middle phase, which I guess is what everybody calls being a scale-up, where you're no longer agile enough to just do things and you're not yet big enough to have the process now down so that everybody knows what to expect, where you get a lot of tension. And it's tough on the sales team and it's tough on the product management team. And it's very tough on the engineering team as well because mm. everybody thinks that the solution would just be that engineering goes faster, which is just as hard for them <laughs> as for everybody else. And so, so it's really this, this tension for me, it's in that scale-up phase um, where you're not, not yet mature, but, but, but not young and, and agile anymore. So is shifts past that or in the middle of it? Um, I think we're, we're still in it. Um, we still have these challenges where we, we still have the spirit of, you know, we really want to do everything for everybody. And, um, and we're learning to, to channel that. Right? We're learning to channel that and say, look, okay, you know, here's how we decide what's important. Um, here are the customers that we want to uh, prioritize right now because they represent um, some strategic um, objective for us. Um, I think we've, like, honestly, over the last three years, this has exactly been the problem that we've been focused on. How do we get from startup to um, smoothly oiled machine? Um, and, uh, and the big pieces are in place, um, but occasionally we still find the gaps, right? We still find something that we didn't say clearly or some place where the process uh, breaks down. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe that'll always be the case. Maybe, maybe I'm imagining that there's some destination we arrive at that doesn't exist. Um, where everything just works perfectly, but um, yeah, I think we've we've definitely made a lot of progress. Um, but I, I, you know, my day to day job is still trying to make sure that that process 
uh, gets better and better. Yeah. I like the the, uh, the way you put it uh, about the process is that ultimately the, the processes are, are can uh, can be the answer. What are the processes that you put in place to um, well to oil the machine? Yeah, this, so these mm. are all the um, mm. all the product management textbook ones, right? There's mm. there's um, you need a customer feedback and a sales feedback system. Um, you need some way to to get to find out what what's bothering your users, but also what's bothering your your customers, which are they're not always the same group of people. Um, you want to know one thing that can happen. I think that that's that's hard to manage is that you tend to get a lot of feedback from your existing customers, and you lose sight of the the prospective customers. Right? You when you when you have no customers, you're you're very very good at focusing on what will win the market. When you start to have customers, you, you lose a bit of that focus on what will win the market and start to focus on what will make my current customers happy. They're not, you know, there's some alignment between those two things, but the answer is not exactly the same. And so that those feedback loops are, are super important and have to be um, scaled out to to teams, right? It has to happen at at uh, at the leaf level of the organization. Um, roadmaps. Um, roadmaps are super hard. Uh, they're, they're particularly hard for a big enterprise for, for the reasons we talked about before. Um, there's frequently specific demands from, from individual customers um, and trading them off is very, very difficult. Um, but the company needs at some level to be able to talk about just what you said, right? We need to have a strategy. We need to know if the answer is yes or no. We need some predictability. Um, ideally, sales don't need to ask product because they know, right? They know that this is not the kind of thing we do, or it's not yet in the roadmap, or yeah. it is in the roadmap, but it's in 12 months. Um, so the more that we can, the more that sales can answer, the, the less product need to. Um, I think these are probably the major, the major tools for kind of product sales relationships. Um, and what's the process actually when uh, an AE or someone in the sales team wants to, uh, to provide feedback from a customer? Because, um, I've read an article about that, that, and it says that the um, the process should be just like uh, the, the process for a customer, as easy as for a customer to share feedback. Usually, in a company, you might ask the DAEs or the sales team to fill it, to fill in um, some kind of form on Jira or on GitHub, and that's not something that a customer would do. Uh, yeah. They would just complain on Twitter or send an email, and that's pretty much it. Uh, and so. Yeah, the article is about uh, the fact that it should be the same for for salespeople. Yeah, I like that. I like that philosophy. Um, we we that's kind of where we are, but it's a little bit accidental. I, I don't want to claim that like we've reached some kind of nirvana. It's more um, we, we haven't really ever tried to turn this into a process. So you know, our organization is still not that big, right? We're a big company because um, it only requires uh, you know you know it only requires a hundred insurers to be a big company. Um, and so uh, today, the, the feedback channel from sales is an email to the product management team, okay. to, ideally to the product manager responsible, but if in doubt, to the product management team. And, um, and that's good because it starts a discussion, right? Like when we talk about feedback, people think a lot about things like intercom and how do you manage feedback at scale? This is just not our problem, right? We just, we don't have so many customers. We don't have so many salespeople that we need to solve this with tools. So it's really, how do you make sure that the organization knows each other and know, know what they can do for each other. And um, part of that is, is really basic human things. Um, if, if, the, if two people have talked before, they're much more likely to talk in the future. Um, if, you know, if, if, the, if 
the sales team want to talk to someone, they won't go to the organization diagram and look up who do I need to talk to, right? They'll, they'll call the person that they talked to last from that team. Yeah. And so, and then you have to make sure that within the team, there's a way to handle and pass on and, yeah. and so forth. So maybe I can share uh, one experience that I had with Algolia because I think it, it, it truly helped um, at Algolia. So Algolia is a search engine, so a fairly technical product. And when we when we were talking to customers, it was a group of two people, one AE on the sales side and one solutions engineer, solution architect, uh, to help answering more technical questions. And it, the interesting thing is that solution engineers, after one year or two, uh, they were tech people and they wanted to go back to tech and 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 handle more like tech topics and sometimes they would they would go to the product uh, management team and i think it it was really helpful for a number number of reasons one they they had been on tens hundreds sometimes thousands of uh, calls with customers so they were bringing in a lot of information feedback and they had seen sales pitch against competition handle uh, objections so they were coming with a tremendous amount of insights uh, to the to the to the PMT and the second benefit of that is that they already had a relationship with salespeople because they had been on uh, several calls with them they had helped them uh, close the deal uh, so they had a super strong uh, relationship with them and they were bringing that relationship back to the product management team um, and we had a few other processes like this that really helped building bridges between uh, PM and, and sales. Um, number one is also um, so uh, bringing solution engineers. Number two is uh, what we call this, the Algolia Academy. So every other week, we would organize one hour, half an hour, and someone in a team would present a topic. And every week, it would change. One week, it would be the, the sales team. The other week, it would be um, the product team and even the engineering team. So we had um, very deep interest and interest uh, inter interest for um, for what the other teams were doing, what were the job. Uh, so I don't know. You could be a salespeople, uh, a sales rep, and and the next day you are learning uh, you know, how encryption works or what SOC two or you know like yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then we would give a talk about okay, what's qualification? Uh, what's uh, what's the medic framework on the on the on the sales side? Mm -hmm. A couple of things that I have in my mind as well is uh, everyone doing support. Uh, they had that at Algolia. Uh, it's a full team support, so no matter in which team you are, you're going to do support at least uh, once a month. Uh, so you are you are uh, confronted to uh, to customer requests. And you also need to be able to answer a lot of different questions. So you have to be aware of all the different products, all the different parts of, of Algolia, because you never know what's, uh, which question you're going to have. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those are the three things that, I, that came to, to, to my mind when you, uh, when you were sharing your, your own process. And I think yeah. they, they, have, uh, they have a lot. Yeah, those are great. Um, big plus one for leveraging pre-sales or technical sales or however you want to, solutions consultants sometimes they're called. Um, they're, they're the best friends of the product team um, when it comes to understanding customers. They could, they're the ones who have the depth of understanding of the product to, to course correct the sales team. And they're the ones who can bring the, the best, most detailed, most relevant feedback. Um, so yeah, I'm, I think that's an incredibly important relationship. Um, one, of the, one of the things you were talking about there with the, um, 
with the uh, presentations and the and everybody does support. Uh, one of the things I saw at Google, which was interesting, is if we think about a company from if we you know we just we simplified onto one axis, it's from the tech side to the business side. Um, you have the engineering at one side, and you have sales at the other, and it's rare that they talk to each other because we we put in between we put product marketing and yeah. product and pre-sales and all the rest, right? And so what they would do at Google is once a year have a day where for half a day, the sales team would shadow the engineering team. And for the other half of the day, the engineering team would shadow the sales team. Just to see like, what's life like? Um, what what bothers you? Like, how do you see our products? You know, it's in some cases like, oh yeah, I actually work on that thing. Yeah, well, it doesn't work properly, right? Or, or vice versa, right? Like, oh, that's really interesting. I would never have thought you would talk to the customer about that. Um, it's, and that really helps the engineering team to put the what they're building in context. Yeah, I really like shadowing. I think that every every team should do it. And actually, at Algolia, we we were pushing uh, for that. So every actually every meeting was open, and we were putting all the, all the meetings from the sales team uh, in the calendar so that everyone could see them. And if you wanted to jump on one then you would simply ask the rep and uh and most of the time they would say yes of course and uh and uh and that way you could you could shadow the, the, the meeting and the, the customers would actually love that the sales would love that as well um i've been on a call where i, I had questions about a specific part of the product and I, I actually had right next to me the the one engineer that had coded that feature so it was perfect timing win yes um and uh, and I think it should be something that should be done on a day-to-day -day basis, like once a week. Um, you get to shadow, you get to shadow someone, uh, or at least um, a meeting with a, with a customer or a prospect. Yeah, I love that. I, lo I love that thing. Um, time is running, uh, but uh, yes. maybe. <laughs> um, because well, you know, I'm I'm kind of fond of also talking about compensation and incentives. Uh, so I would love to know what are the incentives that you can um, design for the product management teams to make sure that well, first of all, their 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 work is aligned with the strategy of the team of the company, and also to make it um, to make them work better with uh, with the sales team. Yeah, actually, I think the, probably the one that I'd, I find most interesting in, in the context of this discussion is when you, so I talked about the difficulty of going from one product to many products. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's a whole company problem. And, and the challenge you see on the sales side is as a salesperson, you are faced with, you've got the, the one big uh, successful product. It's got a huge track record, reference customers, um, you're absolutely certain that if we sign the contract, we'll have no problem delivering it. And the other options are these new products that we've just started building. Nobody's quite sure how they work. There's, there's no reference customers, or maybe there's only one. And so when you're a salesperson and you're saying, how do we hit my target? It's very easy to say, I'm just going to sell the thing that already sells itself. And um, for the company, you know, you still hit your targets, but at some point you lose the product pipeline, right? So so we miss the opportunity to become a multi-product company because nobody's selling the new products. Yeah. This is super hard. Um, and so there's a whole set of things that need to happen in the organization to enable the sales team to sell new products. Um, but one of them is compensation. Um, and, uh, and often what is done is to give a special incentive 
to salespeople who are able to land the early deals on new products in a particular market. Sometimes it's called a SPIF. Uh, I don't even know what that stands for, but um, but it's specifically how do you how do you incentivize people to take the risk on the sales side to um, to spend their time on a new product that's a little less uh, easy to sell, um, and how do you make sure that that's that's recognized um, financially as well as you know within the organization it should be celebrated. We should constantly be saying like you're building the future of the company by doing this, um, but compensation wise is often an uplift on their on their um, remuneration from from that kind of deal. So you're the first one in the geography to sign a new, a new product. Um, you get an extra ten percent on the um, on the incentive from that deal, um, and that can really that can really move the needle on on sales activity on new products. Yeah, and are there um, incentives on the on the on the product side as well that one could uh, design? Could it work with PMs as well? Could I, I? You know, I've never really thought about that. Um, for for each product manager, their product is their baby. And they're doing they're doing everything they can to help it to to grow up, um, to to um, to become a more mature and easier to sell, um, and so yeah, I think there's an interesting question there. I don't really have an answer, but um, today everybody is tied uh, on the product team. Everybody is tied to the overall company performance rather than the performance of their specific product. Whereas on the sales side, it's how many deals did you sign, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard about um, a company um, that were incentivizing other teams other than salespeople on NPS or, for example, the number of uh, reviews that one could get on G2. Um, so for each review, it would be included in your in your bonus or compensation or, or uh, as part of your career plan. Um, and that can be a, a really strong way to like gather multiple reviews and, and land in the top right corner. Uh, of uh, of uh, of G two, so yeah, yeah. I I I would say on a note of caution, I think all of those kind of things are proxy metrics for for actual revenue growth, right? Like what we're actually trying to do through those is get revenue growth, and every time you have a proxy, you have a risk of drift or exploitation, right? Somebody gaming the system, or yeah, or it actually not achieving what you thought it was going to achieve, right? I can get a lot of reviews, they may not be positive, yeah, um, and That's so. Very true. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think what's nice about sales is there is a very clear incentive model that's tried and trusted. Yeah. Um, I think there's some interesting experiments going on in other functions, but I, I would be careful because this has a really fundamental impact on the way people behave. Yeah. So that's uh, it. Reminds me of the uh, Nike uh, company values. Uh, I'll, I'll share the link. Uh, so. It's the where they very early in the days of Nike they set different values and um, and uh, it was like okay build great products and all the values and at the end it was if we can do everything right we'll make money damn near automatic and so that's why that everything was just a, a proxy to to, uh, to to making revenue and if you don't need to, to track that actually if you if you build a great product and you, if you build something that people want, um, revenue will grow. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I like the spirit. In the book. I'm not sure about the reality. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I like the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. We'll finish with the famous five questions. So current uh, book you're reading or favorite, business, uh, favorite book uh, you would like to recommend? Uh, one that I'd recommend if you're thinking about organizations is um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. 
Um, okay. It's one of these books that, I mean, I've made this mistake countless times. Like, a couple of people recommended it to me a long time ago. Um, and then, you know, I've had so many recommendations that eventually I went, okay, I should buy it and read it. And if I had bought it and read it when I got the first recommendation, it would have been really, really helpful. Okay. Um, but I just read it a couple of months ago and it's fantastic. It's, it's, uh, it's very easy to read and it's a nice description of why teams work or don't work at, at a very fundamental kind of personal psychological level. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, an executive one should follow or study. Business, I, um, a leader. Yeah, hmm? I kind of, I can't say that I really follow, but somebody that, you know, if you look at the last 10 years has been, had an amazing impact is um, Sachin Nadella at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I don't know Microsoft well as a company. So I say this from a, from a great distance, but the transformation of Microsoft and their current momentum and strength is phenomenal. And it, it tracks just perfectly with his transition into CEO. So um, I think okay. that's, you know, if you're looking for a role model, I think that's a great role model. Cool. Um, what do you do to relax or favorite Twitter or Reddit accounts? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not very Twitter or Reddit. Um, I don't know if I'm old school or avant-garde, but um, I, I have some email newsletters. Um, yeah. And when I'm waiting for uh, one of our kids to fall asleep, I'm often reading um, Next Draft, which is a kind of interesting mix of news um, from, the, from the US. Or um, Benedict Evans sends a great tech newsletter, uh, okay. wrapping up what's happen happening around the tech world. Um, so yeah, more, more email. Cool. Uh, favorite online tool? Um, you're probably going to think that I'm a little biased for, by my past, but um, probably the tool I spend the most time doing interesting thinking in is, is Google Slides. Okay. Um, yeah, there's just, it, it's, kind of, it's, probably, it's probably an unorthodox <laughs> answer, but I find the level of fidelity just right, um, where it forces you to simplify. And I find it also very smooth. There's no impediment. Uh, I don't spend my time fighting it. And so almost everything important that I end up thinking about goes through Google Slides one way or another. I thought you were about to say YouTube or something like that. YouTube's great as well. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, who should I interview next? Yeah, I see a little bit about this. Um, and uh, I know there's certain risk of... Um, of uh, putting someone in an awkward position, but um, somebody who I think uh, would be great to talk to because you'd have a really broad view would be um, uh, Alexi uh, Fogel from- um, Stonely. Stonely, yeah. yeah. So he's doing Stonely now and he's been through Dashlane. Dashlane, yeah. And I think he could tell you some fantastic stories. Yeah, I met him. Yeah, he's really nice, really great. Uh, As fantastic well. guy. <laughs> and uh, I love this product. Uh, so yeah, definitely I'm going to reach out. Cool. Uh, so thank you so much, Marcel, for, for your time, for everything. And uh, well, I'll put all the links uh, in, the, in the comments and, um, and feel free to, to follow Marcel and uh, what they're building at uh, Ship Technology. Oh, last thing, uh, you are hiring. Who should yes. reach out to you? <laughs> yes, anybody from product management, uh, software engineering, data science, um, the company is really growing. Um, and it would be fantastic to have uh, new talented people on board. All right. Is there an email people can uh, send a message to if they, if they want to if they want to apply? Best way is to go through our the careers page on our on our website. Um, okay. That'll get you into the system. Okay. Send an email to to me and I'll forward, <laughs> uh, I'll forward it. Also, so you're you're the sales guy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Cool, Marcel. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. And, uh, have a nice day. 
All right, everyone, thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to send us a message or ping us directly in the comments. And if you'd like to join our community, feel free to visit our website, operations.family. Cheers.